That's a little epistle right near the end of the Bible. It's Hebrews, James, 1 John, 2 John. Look there, a 2 John, if you would. You know that on Sunday mornings we've been making our way through these little epistles. Finished 1 John, now we're into 2 John. And uh, I'd like us to read just one verse to get started today. And that's 2 John, verse number 8. 2 John, verse number 8, if we can read that together, reading that out loud, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Let's pray. Father, again, we're thankful for each one that's here. I know that some of our folks are away. Help them, bless them, speak to their hearts where they're at. Some not well, help them to get better quickly. Lord, as we gather here now around the Word of God, would you teach us yet one more thing from this little epistle of 2 John? Help our eyes and our ears and our hearts to be open. And Lord, may you challenge each of our hearts. May we hear from heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, you know we're going through this little epistle of 2 John. It was written by the Apostle John. We know that John wrote five different books, Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. And we know that he wrote all of them late in life. He was probably 70 to 80 years of age when he wrote those books. And this epistle of 2 John, just one chapter long, if you had to give the theme for this little book, it would be a warning against false teachers. We know that uh, there are plenty out there that are not teaching the truth. There are plenty out there that uh, are teaching false doctrine. And really, the whole theme of this little book is to beware of those people. Very first week, we looked at who this letter was written to. It was written to a Christian lady that loved the Lord, and she was loved by many. Uh, We looked at the next three weeks about her Christian walk and her love for the truth and her love for people. Then last Sunday morning, if you were with us, we looked at really, we got to the theme of the book, and it was a warning about false teachers. Now, there's a reason that he wrote that to this woman. It seems that this woman was very kind and very hospitable. In other words, whether friend or stranger, if they knocked on her door, how readily she opened her door, she invited them in, whether it was just for some rest whether it was for a meal, whether it was to stay overnight. And it seems that this woman was so hospitable to anybody that she was actually opening her door and she was being hospitable to those that were teaching false doctrine. And so there were some that denied the scriptures, they denied the Godhead, they denied heaven, they denied hell, And she was opening up her home and her heart to anybody that came through. And so John uh, commended her for her love. He commended her for her walk, commended her for uh, walking in truth. But he said, you need to be more careful about this. Look there, if you would, in uh, verse number uh, number nine. Fact, backup story, verse number seven. He's, he showed us how to, to tell whether they were false in their doctrine. Verse number seven, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. So he said the litmus test of whether they are true or not true, or at least the very first litmus test, is what do they believe about Jesus Christ? Do they believe that Jesus, that man that walked on this earth, was the sent one from God? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do they believe that Jesus is God come in the flesh? And he said, if they don't confess that, if they don't agree with that, very end of verse number seven, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, I don't know whether you know that or not, but there are false religions that are knocking on doors even in our cities. Some of them are JWs, some of them are Mormons, and they do not believe that Jesus is God the Son, God in the flesh, the Son of God. Now, they've gotten a little crafty if you straightforward ask them. 
some of them will be slippery like a fish and, and, and they'll dance around the question. But their doctrine denies that Jesus is the Son of God. And here John is telling this woman, when somebody like that comes to you, look now at verse number 10, 2 John verse 10, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine that Jesus is God, receive him not into your house. Don't open your door. Now you say, Pastor, I, uh, I was thinking of challenging them. Then step outside your door and you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe as long as you have the energy to do it. But John made it clear, do not let them in your house. Not only did he say that, but look at the very end of verse number 10. He said, neither bid him Godspeed. So what is that? Have a good day. It's, it's giving them the right hand of fellowship. Uh, trust the Lord will bless your work. No, no. You don't want God to bless that kind of work. So John made it very clear to this woman that was very hospitable. Listen, don't let them into your house and don't bid them Godspeed. And so that's really what we looked at last week. And you say, well, preacher, why? Why is it so important that we don't cater to them? Look, if you would, there in verse number 11. The Bible says, For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So somehow, as God watches this woman and her kindliness and her hospitality to these that taught false doctrine, God said, if you do that, I'm going to hold you an accountant, or accountable for being an accomplice with what they teach. You say, Pastor, I didn't know that. That's why we preach through the books of the Bible. And so again, I say, when they knock on your door, do not let them in. You say, well, I, I don't think there's a big deal. You let them in and you become part and parcel with what they're teaching. You expose your home to those people. You expose your children to that false doctrine. He said, don't do it. Now, when we looked at those verses, 7 through 11, we jumped over one verse. And I'd like us this morning to look at that verse. Look again at 2 John verse 8. 2 John verse number 8, he says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. I've said to you that there is a price to pay when we cater to false doctrine, when we finance false doctrine, when we congratulate false doctrine, there's a price to pay. We've already looked at the first one. That was the end of verse 11. God holds you partly accountable for the deeds that they're doing. But the second reason that you don't want to partake of what they're doing, again, is this verse number eight. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. That word wrought is worked for. But that we receive a full reward. Do you know, as you and I live this Christian life, there are some things that when we do them, God promises a reward. Sometimes the reward is immediately on this earth. Sometimes that reward is something that we gain for eternity. And here John is saying to this woman, listen, do not cater to those people. Do not fellowship with those people. Do not finance, don't listen, don't open your purse and give them $10, open your wallet, give them $20. Don't send a check to their ministry. He said, because if you do one, God holds you accountable for it. But two, you are going to lose some rewards that you had coming to you. There's a pretty serious thing. I, I tried to find some figures of how many people that were in sound Bible churches have been snagged and snared and now are in cult churches. And I, I couldn't find any number of the, uh, numbers for that, but I dare say it's many. There are many people that used to sit in the chairs of Bible preaching churches and they thought they'd be kind. They thought they'd be hospitable. They thought that they'd be generous so they opened their doors to anybody when those people knocked on their home. Many of those that opened their door are no longer in Bible preaching churches. 
Many of those people have now been snagged into those cults. That's why John said to this woman, don't open your door to them, don't receive them into your house, don't bid them Godspeed. Why, John? Well, he said, first of all, verse number 11, because God is going to hold you accountable for their deeds. But secondly, he says, because you are going to lose some rewards that God had planned for you. Folks, it's, it's, could I say it this way? It's a labor of love to do things for God to get rewards in the first place. Why would you or I carelessly forfeit those rewards? Look again at verse number 8. The Bible says, Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Again, some of the rewards that a Christian earns down here on earth is uh, getting the gospel to lost souls. There's a reward for being a part of those that get the gospel out. That's a reward in itself. There's a reward for when we do get the gospel to people and they genuinely trust Christ as their Savior. There's a soul winner's reward the Bible talks about. Uh, enjoying the fellowship of other Christian people. That's a reward that we get on this earth right now. Uh, not only that, the daily benefits of answered prayer. That's a reward that we can get right now. Having a clear conscience for a life that's lived honestly. What I'm trying to say is we not only get rewarded in this life for living for God, but we also get rewarded in eternity for living for God. John warned this woman, you cater to these people that teach false doctrine. You invite them in, you bid them Godspeed, you help finance them, you encourage them. All of these rewards are at risk. What a shameful thing. Imagine getting to heaven, and I'm, I'm just imagining. Can you imagine getting to heaven looking around at the, the streets of gold and, and the, uh, the gates of pearl and getting to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And can you imagine looking off to the side at, at just a stockpile of great things and saying, well, what's that? Well, those are the rewards that you did have, but they've been forfeited. What a horrible thing. What a, what a sad thing. Again, we're going we're gonna to look at the loss of those eternal rewards. I'd like to preach on this subject this morning, and that title is uh, Every Believer's Coming Judgment. Every Believer's Coming Judgment. Do you know that there is going to be a day where we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he judges us for the works that we have done on this earth? One day there is an accounting of what we've done. Uh, you've probably heard this statement before, face the music. Have you heard that statement before, face the music? You know, it's, it, it came from many years ago, there was a man in the Imperial Orchestra in Japan. He couldn't play a, a note on any instrument. But because that Imperial Orchestra often played before the Emperor, he was just a dying to get into that orchestra. He applied for it. And the orchestra director said, okay, what do you play? So I can't play a thing. <laughs> he said, well, you can't get into the orchestra then. This is for musicians that can play musical instruments. And uh, this man was well-to-do, and he said, how much would I have to pay in order to be in the imperial orchestra? And that orchestra director, I guess, got thinking. He said, well, no, I shouldn't do that. And he said, he quoted him a price, and then he quoted him a higher price. And finally, he hit, he hit the right bell, I guess. And the orchestra uh, director said, I'll take it. So that orchestra director knew that this particular man in the second row, he couldn't play a note. I think they gave him a violin. Couldn't play a note on the violin, but uh, he accepted money to put him in there. And you know, for two years, as all those orchestra players would take their place, and as they would all do what you do with instruments. This guy was pretending. This guy was acting. And I guess he did pretty good because he was kind of lost in the crowd. After two years, that conductor was replaced with another conductor. And this guy starts sweating bullets. 
Anything's oh my. And the new conductor said, I want to hear every one of you play your instruments so I know what your abilities are. Well, now this guy's really getting nervous. And so as this new conductor makes his way through, he comes to this man that can't play a note. And uh, the man thinking, I'm going to be found out, he calls in sick. <laughs> he said, I'm sick, bad sick. And the conductor didn't miss a beat. He said, oh, it's fine. We'll send a doctor to check you out. The doctor checked him out and went back to the new conductor and said, there is nothing wrong with this man. There is no sickness. There is no illness. There is no issue. He has no reason that he can't play. The new conductor insisted that the man come. And he said, now you play your instrument. And the man had to admit that he couldn't because they put a sheet of music in front of him and he couldn't face the music. That's where that comes from. Do you know that you or I could be playing a great Christian game? We could be fooling people in the church, people in the community, maybe even fooling others in our family. God knows what's down in our hearts. And you know that the believer's coming judgment is when all of that will be exposed. That's what we're going to look at this morning. If you take your Bible, you can let go of 2 John. We'll need it later. But look there, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Again, we're looking at every believer's coming judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. How many people, when we talk to you about a coming judgment, they say, I don't believe that there's anything after we die. Any of them will say, I think when you die, you're buried six feet under, that's it. There's no more existence. Many people have come to that conclusion. How different this verse corrects that, uh, that notion. Look again, verse 27. The Bible says, that is it is appointed unto men once to die. We really learn four things from verse 27. First of all, we learn that we're all going to die. I know we all hope we live a little bit longer, but all of us one day are going to die. Someone said years ago, I'm sure you've heard it, people used to say, the only sure thing in life are death and taxes. If you've got a good accountant, you might get away without taxes. You could but you aren't going to get away without death. Every person one day is going to die. And in spite of all the scientific research, they might help people live a little healthier while they're here. They aren't going to stop them from dying. So the first thing we learn from verse 27, that as it appointed unto men once to die, we're all going to die. Second thing that we learn there from verse 27, look at it again, and as it is appointed. You have an appointment with death. And again, uh, there's nothing that you can do to prevent that appointment. I said this a few uh, Wednesdays ago. You can bring that appointment closer by foolish decisions. Ecclesiastes 7.17 says, Neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? So first of all, we're all going to die. And secondly, we have an appointment with death. Notice the third thing, as it is appointed unto men, once to die. There are people that hold a Hindu doctrine that's called reincarnation. They figure when you die, you're going to be resurrected as something else. They say if you lived a good life, when you die, you're going to come back a higher level. You lived a bad life, you're going to come back and it'll be a lower level. So if you come back as a mosquito, you were not good in the last life. But I'm saying to you, say, well, preacher, is that what hinder? Yeah, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. So that verse, Hebrews 9, 27, we're all going to die. Secondly, we have an appointment with dead. Third thing, we're going to die once. But look at the last part of verse 27 says, but after this, the judgment. So, folks, we're all going to stand to be judged. Well, I'm just going to die, and it'll be all over, not according to that verse. The Bible says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing. I, I know that's a solemn thought, 
But everything that we do on this earth, one day we're going to give an account for what we've done. If you're taking notes this morning, again, we're looking at every believer's coming judgment. And the first point is the certainty of every believer's coming judgment. Again, the certainty of every believer's coming judgment. One day we'll all give an account for what we have done on this earth. I give you a second truth the Bible tells us. There, if you would, in John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. So we've established the certainty of every believer's coming judgment. It's going to happen. You aren't going to avoid that one. You can't call in sick. <laughs> it's going to happen. Second thing that we learn about every believer's coming judgment is found in John 12, 48. Jesus said this, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Again, that term, the last day, is a judgment day. You know, not only do we learn the certainty of every believer's coming judgment, but the second thing, if you'd write this down, the standard for every believer's coming judgment, the standard. Do you know, if you ask people, do you believe there's a judgment? Some might say yes. Well, how do you think that you'll be judged? A lot of folks say, well, I think up in heaven, God has a giant scale. And he's going to put all our good works on one side. And he's going to put all our evil works on the other side. And if the good outweighs the bad, we get into heaven. And if the bad outweighs the good, then we don't get to heaven. We go to Some folks think that the judgment of this life is measured by our good works and our bad works. That's not true. You say, well then, what's the standard for our judgment? What are we judged by? Look there again at John 12, 48. The Bible says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him the word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. You know that word, word, and words? He's talking about the word of God. Do you know, isn't it something? We have in our hands the standard by which one day we will be judged. Amazing. You say, Pastor, it, it couldn't, couldn't be that easy. It's that easy. I think most of you know that we have a Bible institute. On Tuesday nights, we have three one-hour classes, start at 6, end at 9, and, and this is normally what happens, and we have some teachers in here. We also have some students. What happens is, uh, for instance, the first class where the Goebel teaches from 6 till 7, the very next day he posts all of the questions for the next week's quiz. So the next week, they're going to be quizzed on the material they were taught this week. So it's taught Tuesday night. They go to the institute room and they take a copy of all the questions. But we not only give them all the questions, we also give them all the answers. So they're taught for one hour, Tuesday night, 6 to 7. And Wednesday when they come here, they go pick a piece of paper up. Talks about it for that first class, every question and every answer that's expected. You say, Pastor, how could it get any easier than that? Well, apparently it's not completely easy. Because not all of them get 100%. It's one thing to have the questions and the answers in your hand. It's another thing to have the questions and answers in your head. And so there are some that, oh, I'll just remember. Well, when they go to write that quiz, for some reason, it all got mixed up and it all got changed and they don't come through with 100%. It would be hard to criticize a teacher for not being a very good teacher if he supplied every question and every answer. In that same way, folks, we've been given every question. And we've been given every answer. There's nobody that's going to be able to say to God, 
but I didn't know. You had it. You had it in your hand. Whether you took it from your hand to your head, or your hand to your heart, or your hand to your hands and your feet, that's a choice that you make. I'm saying when we are looking at every believer's coming judgment, the second thing we find out is uh, the standard for every believer's judgment. And the standard is the Word of God. Do you know the Bible really is an amazing book? It's a book of information. It gives us all the details that we need to know about God and creation. And uh, It's a book of salvation. It helps us to know how to be saved, born again. It, it's a book of transformation. It helps us to know after we're saved what we can do to walk in a way that pleases Him. It's a book of organization. Helps us to know how to organize our home and organize our finances and organize the church. It's a book of jubilation. Promises happiness and joy if you'd follow. But it's also the book by which we will be judged one day. You say, well, if I had known that, I would have studied it. Well, now you know. Now you know. I say uh, we're looking at every believer's coming judgment. First of all, we've seen the certainty of every believer's coming judgment. No one's exempt. All believers will be judged. Secondly, we've seen the standard for every believer's coming judgment, and the standard is the Bible that he's placed in our hands. How important it is to read it. How important it is, even before you read it, to say, Lord, teach me. If I'm missing one of the questions you're going to ask in that future judgment, help me to get it now so I can get it figured out. I give you a third thing. Look there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So again, we've looked at the certainty of every believer's judgment. Secondly, the standard of every believer's judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse number 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. The Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I talked about a future judgment for every believer. This is a verse that's talking about that. Notice what that judgment is called. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Notice who is doing the judging, it's Christ. That's why it's the judgment seat of Christ. Christ isn't being judged. Christ is the judge. So we know what that judgment's called. We know who is doing the judging, that's Jesus Christ. And we also know from this chapter who is being judged. Look there again at verse number 10. For we must all appear. Brother Carlson, pastor, preacher, who is the we? Well, look at verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Uh, the we is believers. It's Christians. It's Christians in verse 1. It's Christians in verse 2. It's Christians in verse 3. It's Christians in verse 4. It's Christians in verse number 5. It's we, 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 all the way through. It's all Christians. So the third thing, if you write down, is the setting. The setting for every believer's judgment. And the setting is basically, we are waiting for the rapture. Any moment now, a trumpet can blow in heaven. And all we who are believers will be taken out of this earth. For the next seven years on this earth, there'll be terrible trouble. It's called the tribulation. Terrible hardship and, and, and difficulties, unlimited. While this world is going through this seven-year tribulation, we who've been taken up to heaven, we will stand at a judgment seat before Christ. So while the Antichrist reigns on the earth, the Christ, Jesus Christ, is judging up in heaven. Again, we're looking at the setting of every believer's judgment. Well, preacher, what about those that are not Christians? Are they judged there too? No, keep your hand in 2 Corinthians. Look, if you would, in Revelation chapter number 20. Revelation chapter 20, there is another judgment for them. 
So if a family member of yours or a neighbor or a co-worker says, I will not trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, well, they won't be judged at the judgment seat of Christ because that's just for believers. Look there at Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11. John says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Folks, 2 Corinthians 5 and Revelation 20 are two completely different judgments. All we who are saved in this church age are at that judgment seat of Christ. All those that reject Christ in this church age stand at the great white throne judgment. And so we're not made to guess. We, we, we don't have to stand back and scratch our heads and wonder. They are two different judgments. Now, I know you still have your hand in 2 Corinthians 5, but look back there in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation, the book of Revelation, very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. Someone has said that Revelation chapter 1 is a little picture of the entire New Testament. Again, they've said the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, is really a micro picture of the entire New Testament. Say, Pastor, how is that? Well, in Revelation 1 and 2 and 3, it's talking about churches. And folks, right now, between now and the rapture when it happens, God's emphasis is on local churches. Well, that's chapter 1, 2, and 3. Again, preacher, what are we looking forward to? We're looking forward to a trumpet being blown and we being taken out of here and taken to heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Again, I know that many have seen this, but maybe not all. After having mentioned all about churches in chapter 1, 2, and 3, Revelation 4 and verse 1, after this, that's after all those chapters on local churches, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me and said, come up hither. That's the rapture. Again, Revelation is just a little picture of the entire New Testament. The churches are chapter 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 4 and verse 1 is the rapture. I want you to notice what happens to John when he is taken up at that rapture. Verse number 2. John writes Revelation 4, 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. What we find in Revelation chapter 4 is the judgment seat of Christ. Its believers are being judged as they stand before Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of that judgment in chapter 4, they're given rewards. Now keep that in mind. Remember, John warned this lady that by her supporting false teaching that she could lose her rewards. That's where the rewards come in. Again, Revelation chapter 4 is our rapture. When we read everything from Revelation 5, through Revelation 19. Look there, if you would, in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 10. Sorry, verse number 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. So everything from chapter 5 all the way through chapter 19 is the seven years of that tribulation. At the end of that seven years, Revelation 19, verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And uh, in righteousness he that judge and make war. There in verse number uh, 13, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Preacher, what's happening in chapter 19? Heaven opens up again. First time it opened was to take us up. Seven years later, it opens up and Jesus comes back riding a white horse. His armies are following him. 
And folks, as a result of that, the Lord sets up his throne on this earth. If this is the first time you've ever heard that, it might be confusing. But uh, many of you have heard it before, and uh, uh, there's a thousand years to follow. At the end is a great white throat, throne judgment. Preacher, why do you tell us that? There are two different judgments. The one that happens sooner, back to 2 Corinthians 5, the one that happens sooner is the judgment seat of Christ. That's the judgment where believers will stand before it. Folks, that could happen today. The rapture could happen today. We could be taken out of here today. And if that's true, that it could be that in short order, we will stand to be judged before the Lord. I've given you, first of all, the certainty of every believer's judgment. Secondly, the standard for every believer's coming judgment. Standards of the Bible. Third, the setting. Pastor, where is this judgment? It'll be up in heaven while the seven-year tribulation happens on this earth. But that's only for those that are saved in this church age. Preacher, how do you know that there are two different judgments? One's for the saved from the church age. Other is for the lost of the church age. One of them, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, takes place before the thousand-year millennium. The other one takes place after the thousand-year millennium. For the judgment seat of Christ, the one doing the judging is Christ. For the great white throne, the one that's doing the uh, judging is God himself. At the judgment seat of Christ, nobody is cast into the lake of fire because they're all believers. In the great white throne, there are those that are cast in the lake of fire because they would not believe. There are two different judgments. We've looked at the certainty of every believer's judgment. We have looked at the standard for every believer's judgment. We've looked at the setting for every believer's judgment. I give you a fourth thing, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Okay, preacher, you say that we're all going to be judged. What is it that we're going to be judged for? Well, look there at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul writes this, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. You know, that, uh, that is the judgment seat of Christ. And he says there, what is going to be judged is the works that we have done. Now, hold on just a second. We don't work to get into heaven. There is no work that you can do to get you to heaven. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. Folks, we don't get to heaven by anything that we've done. We only get to heaven by what Jesus Christ has done. And there was a day when we received his payment. So when it talks about our works being judged, it's our works after we got saved. Certainly after you and I trusted the Lord as our Savior, he put us to some tasks to do for him. And it's that work that is going to be judged one day. Uh, I won't have you turn to it, but Ephesians chapter 2, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 2. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, you can't do it to get to heaven, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, having been reminded that it's not our works that gets us to heaven. Listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Since you have trusted the Lord as your Savior, he has set you to the task of doing some things for him. Sometimes we call it ministry, some kind of a ministry. You know, one day... What we've done for Christ since we got saved, that will be judged. 
not only the works that we've done, but uh, look again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Bible says uh, those works are even divided up into different categories. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10, sorry, verse number 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So you say, well, preacher, I, I, I've taught a Sunday school class. Pastor Carlson and I was busy in getting out gospel tracts. Preacher, I really tried to be a, a, an encouragement to other Christians. All those would fall under works that we've done. But you know, the question will also be examined, why did you do it? Why did you teach a class? Why did you hand out gospel tracts? Why did you try to be a blessing and a help to someone else? Not only will the works that we've done be judged, but God is going to judge why we did what we did. And he's going to shuffle all those works into either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. And you say, boy, those are different. You know, gold, silver, precious stones, when those are put into fire, they even get better. They're refined. They're pure. But you put wood, hay, and stubble in fire, they're gone. Pastor, why would you talk about our works and fire? Look at the next verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, verse number 13, every man's works shall be made manifest, made known. For the day, that's the judgment day, shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And so we'll pick on somebody that, let's say they sang in a choir, and let's say they taught a Sunday school, and let's, let's say that they tried to be busy every week that they could to get the God. Boy, you and I would look at a person like that and say, wow, have they ever got some works to show at that judgment seat of Christ? But God's going to take all those works and God's going to sort them. It says of what sort it is. And some of them might be gold, silver, precious stones. Some of them might be wood, hay, and stubble. God's going to put those works in his judging fire. Well, some of them are going to last, and some of them aren't going to last. And that's what it says. Look at the very next verse, verse number 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward again. Talks about an eternal reward. Verse number 15, though. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. We sang that song, Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Do you know, everything that we've done will either endure those judgment fires or they'll be gone. And I dare say that there could be a Christian or Christians who've actually done some things for the Lord, but they did it because they had to. They did it because they were compelled to. They did it because there was pressure on them. and they did, Maybe they did it because they were paid to do it. They did it because they were trying to compete with somebody else and just do more. Those are the motives. And not only what we've done, but the motives for why we've done what we've done. That's all part of this believer's, every believer's coming judgment I say to you, uh, fourth thing is the substance of every believer's judgment, and the substance is our works. It's the works that we have done will be judged, and uh, the Lord will consider what we've done, and he'll consider why we've done it. Now, think about this. You can get rewards for doing what's right, serving the Lord, doing it for the right motive. The Bible talks about not only rewards and jewels, it talks about crowns. I want to show you just a few of these crowns. We have some time here. Look there, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. This is a particular crown that we could be given at that judgment seat of Christ. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look there in verse number 19. Paul is writing to this young Thessalonian church, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? He answers, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So there is a crown called the crown of rejoicing. Sometimes that's called the soul winner's crown. Somebody that you've led to the Lord and somebody that you've discipled once they got saved. Paul said, you are going to be my crown of rejoicing when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a crown. Uh, look there uh, a couple books after that, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, look, if you would, in verse number 8. Here's another crown that can be earned. The Bible says, henceforth, 2 Timothy 4, 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's different uh, than a crown of rejoicing. A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, again, the judgment seat of Christ, and not to be only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. We're given a crown for getting the gospel to people and people getting saved and people being decided. There's a crown for that. Here there's a crown for loving his appearing. You know what that is? How many Christians later in life just quit on God? I don't care about God anymore, the things of God. There is a crown to be gained by continuing to love the Lord and, and be faithful to God. That's a crown. Let me give you a third crown quickly if I could. Uh, look over there in James chapter 1. So keep going after Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, James chapter number 1. James chapter number 1, look there in verse number 12. So we have a crown of rejoicing. That's for leading those to the Lord and discipling. And we have a crown of righteousness that is being faithful to the end of your life. Uh, here's a third one, if you would. James chapter 1 and verse number 12. James 1 and verse 12. Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There is a crown that's given if we say no to temptation. Now, you know, as a Christian, we are tempted not only daily, but hourly. And you say, well, pastor, I can, I can do this sin and ask God to forgive me and all is done. There is a crown for those that say no to temptation. What a great thing. Let me give you another one. Look there, if you would, in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. In 1 Peter 5, Peter is writing to other preachers, if you would. Other elders. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number, uh, look at verse 1. 1 Peter 5 and verse 1, The elders which are among you, I exhort, Peter says, who am also an elder. So he's writing to other preachers. Look there in verse number 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, that's Jesus Christ, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There's a fourth crown. And so in truth, there's five crowns. And you know, when we stand at that judgment seat of Christ, there are rewards to be gained, including those crowns. What a great thing. Say, Pastor, I've done some of those things for, for years, and I've been a part of some of that. And Pastor, I have led people to the Lord, and I have done things. So that if what you're saying is true, there's crowns that are waiting for me. Look at 2 John. That's where we started this morning. 2 John, verse number 8. 2 John and verse number 8. The Bible says, look to yourselves. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you're a part of. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. Wrought is work for. 
He said, be careful, it's a warning. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, worked for, but that we receive a full reward. Well, Pastor, you said if we did ministry, we did serve the Lord, if we looked forward to his coming faithful until that day, he said there's a crown. According to that verse, if you or I get careless in this life, and remember, it's in the context of this lady who is opening her door and opening her home to false teachers and inviting them in and giving them a place to stay and a meal to eat. In that context of her being kind to false prophets and teachers, he warns her, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Do you know what's at risk by messing with false teachers and false prophets and commending them for the great job that they've done, though God said it was an evil work? You can lose those eternal rewards. Whether you lose them all, whether you lose some, God said you can lose a Preacher, is there any other part of the Bible that would teach that? Yes, keep your hand in 2 John, but look there in Revelation. Revelation chapter number 3, just a few pages over. Revelation chapter number 3. Look there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 11. Behold, Jesus says, I come quickly, that's the rapture, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. There's somebody that had done the right kind of work that they were already lined up to get a crown. John said, you know, you better be careful. You better not let somebody steal that crown. Folks, that's, if you're taking notes, the fifth thing that we learn is uh, the susceptible. The susceptible, that's what could happen. The susceptible at every believer's judgment. What's possible at our judgment is in spite of how much that we've tried to do for God. If on this life we have been involved in some things, in this case it was, it was being kindly and hospitable to false teachers, you can lose some of those rewards that were planned. What a tragic thing. I give you the last one. Look there in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter number 4. Again, we found in Revelation 4 and verse 1 that John hears a trumpet that blows and a voice that says, come up hither. And he's there. He's in heaven now. It's a picture of what's going to happen to you and I any day, any moment of any day. Say, Pastor, when we get to heaven, and when we are standing before Jesus at that judgment, okay, so we're given crowns. Okay, so we're given rewards. Hopefully we haven't forfeited and lost them because of a careless life on this earth. But preacher, what are we going to do with those crowns? What are we going to achieve with those? Maybe I don't even need a crown. Pastor, just getting to heaven will be blessing enough Maybe a crown shouldn't be something that I work for. Maybe I should just ignore all that. Well, look what we do with those crowns. Look there in Revelation 4 and verse 10. The Bible says, In heaven at that time the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him, that's Christ, that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Preacher, what am I going to do with those crowns? Do you know that's the only thing that you're going to have to show your gratefulness for what Jesus Christ has done? In heaven they'll be singing. But in heaven they'll be 10,000 times 10,000 that are singing. And so I, I hate to pop your bubble. You say, well, preacher, I got a good voice. I can hardly wait to sing in that choir. 
it won't make much of a difference. Because by that time, all of us will have glorified voices. So your voice amongst 100 million might not make too much of a difference. Do you know the only thing that you will personally be able to give Jesus Christ to show your love for him is a crown. And as he sits on that throne, you're going to want to give that crown back to him as a way of saying thank you. It'd be a sad thing not to have anything to give to Jesus. That's why that song, Must I Go and Empty-Handed, Must I Meet My Savior So. Folks, we want something to give to him. I think I've told you this story, but many, many years ago, I was in grade 8, public school. And it was our teacher's birthday. And somebody in the class thought that they would collect money to give the teacher a birthday gift. They bought a card, and they gave the rest of the money as a gift for her to spend the way she wanted. I told my parents about it the night before. I said, they're collecting money to give a birthday card and a gift to our teacher. And uh, my parents were unusually benevolent and gave me some money. They said, make sure you give this. Okay. Well, you know, on the way to school that next morning, I thought, Dad and Mom will never know. And the teacher will never know. So I determined I was going to pocket that money and keep it for myself. So uh, sure enough, the, uh, the, uh, right at the beginning of the class, before the teacher came in, this person kind of in charge, the student in charge, came around and said, do you have any money for the birthday gift? And some people forked out bills, and some people forked out coins. Came to me and said, uh, you got something? I said, no. I was lying through my teeth. It was in my pocket. No. Okay. Went around, collected from other people, and you know, in the first break, they were going to give it to her just after lunch. You know, in the first break, they brought around a card to sign, a birthday card. And they let everybody that gave toward the gift sign the card. Well, now I'm getting a little nervous now, because that means I can't sign the card. I tried. They wouldn't let me. So no, it was only for those that gave money. And I thought, oh, there are so many signatures on that card. My teacher will never know. Well, sure enough, after lunch, we were all back in our seats, and teacher walked in, and the student in charge of it all said to her, we have collected some money from these students, and here's a birthday card. And I thought, well, maybe I should have given it. Oh, forget it. She'll never know. Do you know, she said thank you, and then she looked at that card and read it, you know what she did? She'd look at the first person, the first row, look for their name, smile. Look at that second person, look for their name, and smile. And I thought, oh, Carlson, this is not going to turn out well. You know when she got to my row, looked at the first person, saw their name, smile, second person, she looked at me, and she looked for my name. It wasn't on there. And she looked back up at me and looked down, and there was no smile. I felt like an inch high. I would have been ever so happy to empty my pockets and say, sorry. Do you understand? It was too late. It was too late. If it was there, that means I could have, but it was too late. Folks, one of these days, every believer is going to stand before a judgment. And everything that we have done since we got saved will be examined and it will either be rewarded because it was done for him and done for the right motive or it will be, it'll be burned up. And you know, you won't be able to then say, Lord, I'm so sorry. You give me a second chance, I'll go down. There's no second chance. And that's why Paul, sorry, John said to this Christian lady, he said, look to yourselves. He said, you need to be careful what you do, what you engage in, what you support, what you're hospitable to, what you're kindly to. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. 
he said, you don't want to do something careless here that will forfeit a reward there. And the truth is, you will be rewarded there. But would you look one more time? If you have 2 John verse 8, I want you to notice a difference that I never saw till this week. 2 John and verse 8. It's in the wording. John says in 2 John 8, he said, look to yourselves. Now notice what he's saying. Look to yourselves. He's telling her and her buddy's friends, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrong. You know, John had invested in that woman. Maybe he led her to Christ. Maybe he discipled her. And John knew, ma'am, if you stay on track for God, not only will you be rewarded, I'll get a reward too. Because you have stayed faithful to God. All of the labor that you have done, that no doubt there's some kind of reward. You want to keep encouraging those people to do what's right. It's not like walk back and, no, no, there is still a reward that rests on them continuing to do right. Be a great encouragement to people that you've helped in the past. Help them to keep going on for God.